Comments made on the Ceratoc Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratoc Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. Triple Click Palm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this 22nd episode of Triple Click Home. It's September 18th, and it's iOS 7 day, so we're very excited. I'm joined today by a number of awesome people, including Mr. Betty Brannon. Hi. Hi. And Mr. John Panarese. Hello, Apple peoples. And we're also going to have some comments throughout the show from Mr. Derek Lane, our lovely audio engineer. Hello. And Mr. Jamie Pauls, our favorite producer. Who is on the fence. Do I upgrade or not? We'll talk about that. Oh. Yes. Yes. I yes. think I'll probably fall yes. off the fence on the upgrade side, mostly because I want LTE, which is kind of funny. People who sit on the fence get sore butts. <laughs> good point. Very good point. Um, this is going to be one of these episodes where, like, CNN or something would say, This is a special episode. <laughs> and I hate it when they we'll say that because it's, whenever they say it's a special episode, it's like, you know, it's like at the normal time, it's the normal length of time, it's a, you know, news stories or whatever, but it's special. Uh, usually that means it's bad news. And this is not yeah. bad news. This yeah. is no, like no, this not. is great news. There is a bit of bad news. A bit of At bad least news? in a personal respect, yes. My inaccuracy rating is falling. Which I predicted on Sarah Talk, by the way. I'm just saying. I said that might happen. So Apple had their fancy event last week. With no surprises, really. Well, not many surprises. Not a single. Actually, no, you know what? The thing is, there were no surprises as far as what was released and stuff. The surprises, though, were sort of how the things that were released are going to be positioned. Yes. Yeah, I can go with that. Well, there was also surprises in what wasn't announced, too, if you think about uh, it. Because there were all these yeah. people yeah. were saying a million other things were going to be iWatch, the new MacBook Pros, et cetera, et cetera. New Apple TV stuff. Right. Two uh, new oh, iPhones. Yeah, that was, that was plenty, though. I tell you what. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so there, of course, is now a 5C and a 5S, which we have been hearing about for months and months and months. And C does not stand for cheap. It stands for colorful. It does stand right. for colorful. The new 5C comes in five different exciting colors. Five, five yep. different exciting colors. The back of the phone is plastic. Unapologetically. Right. Unashamedly right. Plastic. plastic. According to Mr. Johnny Ives. That's right. And it's one solid piece. So it's... Right. Seamless. It is a less expensive iPhone, but it is by no means what people were expecting it to be, i.e. a $399 unsubsidized iPhone. Correct. It is unsubsidized at $549 for the 16 gig. This really does my heart good. <laughs> but <he's- laughs> and I'll tell you why. I give myself at least half credit on this prediction because I sort of backtracked last month and said, okay, yeah, they might come out with a cheaper iPhone, but it's going to be like another tier. And actually, I sort of got that right, too. You did. It is replacing the five. So I guess I really get like three-quarter credit. So yeah, it's replacing the five. Which is going bye-bye. And this is where I fell down because the five is going bye-bye and being replaced with the 5C and the 4S is staying, which just is weird because like that's got the 30 pin dot connect. I know. Yeah, and that I didn't surprised really get me it. a little bit. Yeah. So I'd fell down on that one. However, 
as I've been saying for years, and I can continue to say, Apple does not, will not, and has never competed on, on price. price. Yep. And Apple does not, has not, will not compete on you know the playing this keeping up with the Joneses thing where oh well so and so phone has oh I don't know NFC or this phone has a four point seven inch screen, screen or, or that whatever, phone has right. a whatever 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 Apple's still not playing that game they don't feel the need to and rightfully so I think if they started doing that they wouldn't be Apple they wouldn't be doing what they do and what Apple is very good at is playing to their strengths and that's what they're doing now. They didn't upgrade the camera from an 8-megapixel camera to a 12- or 13-megapixel camera because that's what everyone else is doing, but they did improve it, and we'll talk about that. For example, they didn't cave and, and make a cheaper iPhone because everyone thought that's what they do. They didn't say, oh, well, we need to make a bigger iPhone because everybody else is making a bigger iPhone. No, they said, well, okay, you know what? This 4-inch screen size is still a good size for people. You can access the phone with one hand. You can manipulate the phone with your thumb without having to hold it in both hands to use the thing. It's a good size for that. It's a good size for what we're intending to do with it. We don't need to play these games with trying to keep up with everybody else. We're going to do what we do. We're going to do what we do very well. We're going to make sure that things work because, you know, Apple's always saying it just works. We're going to do that by taking mature technologies that are stable and mature and do interesting things with them. We're not going to introduce things that are still being developed and still have to have the bugs worked out and stuff because people expect a certain experience from Apple and Apple still delivers that. Right. Well, and let's not forget the 5C was designed for an international market. Is it going to sell here in the United States? Absolutely. Because oh, it's yeah. going to be oh, at the $100 price point and people are going to want it. It's pretty. However, you notice that the live feed of their presentation was not available to anybody else but China. China right. is the only country who got a live feed of their presentation. And they did that on purpose because the Chinese market is a market that they haven't gotten into. The 5C is really targeted at them. It's like I said, it's going to sell here. However, they need to broaden their... Right, and it, well, and it has the additional benefit of, again, introducing it to a new market in a new tier, very like the plastic MacBook or the MacBook Air versus the MacBook Pro. Right. Different right. price yep. point, totally different way of marketing it at a completely different audience. The 5S is a very business-looking kind of utilitarian. It's fancy. More utilitarian <laughs> kind of thing, very like the 5 and the 4S and like that. Whereas the 5C is sort of more fun and more whimsical and more, what am I looking for? They're making their own colorful cases. Yes, you can color coordinate your right. 5C. Yeah. And, and they're not doing that with the 5S. They're, nope. Again, it's for a different audience. So, John, why don't you talk a little bit about the differences between the two phones in case we have some listeners who weren't paying attention to last week's presentation? What do you feel are the benefits of the 5C or compare and contrast the two models for our listeners. The 5C is is obviously going to be constructed a bit differently. It's uh, got the plastic back, though they say it's a steel frame. 
that also acts as an antenna. It's going to have the uh, A6 processor, which is what the iPhone 5 is currently using. So it's got a less, you know, a processor with a bit less kick, where the 5S has got the new A7 processor, which is twice as fast as the uh, iPhone 5's processor. It's also 64-bit, which is the first smartphone that is using a 64-bit processor, which has a lot more implications than I think a lot of people have really grasped yet. I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine a short time ago about that and what possibilities that opens up having a 64-bit processor in a phone as far as applications go. And then you also have this M7 motion coprocessor that is going to be used in regards to like exercise applications that can keep track of the type of physical activities you do during the course of the day, which is going to appeal to athletes without a doubt. And those of us who use Zombies Run. Right, that too. I watch anyone. That too, without a doubt. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's got other implications that I don't think people have really grasped as of yet why it's a big deal that a phone has a 64-bit processor. So, you know, it's one of these things, what you could afford. I mean, I would assume most people are going to jump on the 5S if they can afford it. I mean, I know I am. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to as well. And the fingerprint reader is why I'm jumping to the 5S. Yeah, for sure. That, for me, is the kicker. Although Twit did point out one advantage to the 5C, and a friend of mine pointed out another, and the two are the battery life in the 5C, since there's less for the thing to do and think about and process, may actually be longer than that of the 5S. And if you, say, budget 200 bucks for an upgrade, do you want something with all of those sensors and extra features, or do you want to have an extra 16 gigs of memory? Because for 200 bucks, you could have a 5C, it's 32 gigs. Very good point. Or for 200 bucks, you could have a 5S with 16. Right. Right. Good point. Here's what I think is going to happen, okay? Diet in the wool iOS users that are upgrading are going to upgrade in general to the 5S. New people that are just sort of dipping their toes in the water, so to speak, or just getting a new iPhone or whatever, are going to get the 5C because it's Or they're going to get the 4S because it's free. No, I think that some people are going to get the 4S, but I think they're going to be attracted to the 5C. Okay. Plus, you can pre-order the 5C. Yeah, I mean, you you can pre-order the 5S. I don't think you can pre-order the 5S. You cannot pre-order the 5S. There was a discussion on MacBreak about... Children, young people right. getting the 5C. Uh-huh. I hadn't even considered that, but that's an interesting... Oh, of course, that's totally a market. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's good for the younger people. It's yeah, flashy. Sure. I can just picture a teenage girl who's like, oh, I can get a pink iPhone. Oh, my God, that's the most amazing thing in the world. And that's another difference between the two. Alina, you have to say, OMG, that's the most amazing OMG! thing. OMG! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Now, the 5S is going to come in three colors, yeah, right? Uh, silver, gold, and space oh, age I'm sorry. gray. Space gray. Not, it's gold. Oh, is that space the gray is the new black. Yeah, space gray and <laughs> silver. It's not white, people. It's silver. Silver. Yes. Uh, I'm debating whether I want to get the silver or the space gray. And you know gray. why they can't use champagne, right? I'm still going space gray. <laughs> it's because champagne people will go and sue Apple, apparently. That's a copyrighted word. No one's allowed to use the word champagne. Oh my God, really? Is it, it really, really is. I thought that it was like a region of France or something. It is, but they're very particular about that word. Champagne is to be only used for champagne. Well, it's because they're French. Well, they'll, I mean, they'll surrender. I know. 
So since it's September 18th, those of you who have opted to pre-order your 5C have probably already done so. And if you are going for the 5S, you still have two more days to wait. They will be out and available Which is killing me. On the 20th. (laughs) I myself don't think I'm going to upgrade until probably later this year, just because I don't want to deal with the craziness that is the beginning of Apple Day. If you want to get it on the 20th, yeah, you'll deal with craziness. But if you just want to order it and have it shipped pretty quickly, then you could. That's that's what I'm going to do. I've been uh, talking for the past while about how unhappy I am with With Sprint. uh, Yes. My current carrier, yes, Indeed. and yes. how they have such slow data connectivity. I don't know if Verizon is any better at my house. Verizon has LTE in Erie, and I don't think Sprint does. Mm. All right, there you go. You know, my wife loves LTE on the iPad. That's one of the reasons I, I'm really... And I'm, yeah. I'm here to tell you, and three months out, and from what I'll get from Gazelle for my yep. 4S, yeah, I'm going to eat the 100 bucks and switch... So do you guys think there's any chance in the world that Apple would do with the iPhone what they did with the iPad, which was to release one and then three months later say, hey, you know what? We got an improved one. No. No. Interesting. Uh, I don't think so. I do think that we're going to get a new iPad Mm -hmm. because there are rumors. I think the only reason they did that with the iPad was because of the lightning connector. Yeah, I think they're going to have an event in October. And do you really think there's anything so phenomenally better that's going to be in six that a person would want to wait for six or do we just have it? No way of knowing. In other words, do you think no the improvements are just going to be, yeah, no there's no way, way to, to know. know. Yeah. But we, right. we can say that there are rumors that they're going to have another event in October. So right. you guys should stay tuned for that. Unless you have a real need for like a go fast processor or the fingerprint reader. Yeah. yeah which is probably going to be option. the second part. Well, of- no, but it was, if you have oh. a five, yeah. Oh, um, a five. Yeah. Why would you even hold upgrade? on to it? Right. Yeah. If you've got a five, there's no. But if you've got a four S, yeah, a huge definitely leader. you want to upgrade. Yeah. It's huge. Yep. Yep. I've and that's how I felt when I went from the three GS to the four yeah. S. It was amazing. It really yeah. was. I'm so, going to stick with my uh, five. I think. Yeah. No, I'm right. upgrade. So, I got a five, but I'm going to the five. <laughs> John's going to do it. John's upgrade. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm totally doing it. But this is an interesting thing. I got the 3GS in September of 2009. Yep, me too. I got the 4S in December of 2011. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now I'm getting the 5S. So it's like I'm upgrading on the odd cycle. With yes, the, um, you and I are, we're mm-hmm. S people. <laughs> we're S people, yes. I'm tending to be an S person myself at this point, I think. <laughs> what I want to check out, though, with, with Verizon is with this new plan that they've got, if it's still on a two-year agreement if you sign up for their thingy where you pay your phone off over 24 months? No, that is off contract. That one's not right. A, ah, that's what I'm going to do then. But, buddy, yes, do look at the numbers because if you don't want to pay for the phone outright, then don't do it. If you're really particular about being off contract, then it might be something to look into. For everybody who is listening all of the carriers now have a way for you to pay for your iPhone in full without right. it being on contract. However, all of them have stipulations. Here's the right. reason that I'm right. thinking that I might do it. Because next year, uh-huh. I probably will want the six. Ah, uh, 
Right. Yeah, there yep. is that. Yeah, you got to think about that. And if that's I get true. it on a two-year contract, I won't be able to get the six. I'll have to pay full that's price true. for it and break right. the contract. No, that's good thinking. Mm-hmm. But if I get it within a year and it's 50% paid for, it'll just roll over. Right, that's true. Or if I pay for it all before the two years is up, you know, if I pay it ahead, then I can do whatever I want with it after. Interesting. Okay, so not only is it iOS 7 day, but... For all of you who have an Apple TV, you also are getting a brand new version of your software. And according to an article that we have posted in our show notes, the major thing that you're getting in this upgrade for the Apple TV software, and there might be more, is that you're going to now be able to get your iTunes music that you've purchased to be able to play it without having to connect an external device. So without using home sharing. Well, you can already do that if you're subscribed to iTunes Match. Can you? Yes, because you can access your... Okay, well, this is uh, is going to go beyond that. And apparently you can also play it on other people's Apple TVs if you're logged into your account. And, of course, it'll also support iTunes Radio. Correct. It's going to have iTunes Radio, which I'm very excited about as an Apple TV owner. I've taken a look at it. And it's really neat. It is really neat. There's one thing that I haven't been able to do yet, and that is selecting a radio station by genre. If you dr- really? if you actually drill down through the genres. Uh-huh. Now, if you search for a genre, you search for an artist or a title, you can set up a radio station that way. But if you pick from their menu, I haven't been able to get it to do that. Okay. So there's one more thing about Apple TV that I just want to mention in case you guys aren't aware They did come out with some more channels. So if you haven't upgraded your Apple TV, you should do that. You can now get access to... They're very quietly adding a lot of channels over the last while. You know, it's kind of interesting. And actually, the most recent round of channel ads, you don't have to upgrade to get them. They just show up. That's right. They came over the air. It's pretty neat. Yeah, that was really neat. So we now have access to the Disney channel. One problem is that... Many of them require that you actually have a cable subscription. So if you're a cord cutter, too bad for you. Indeed. So here's the reality. I think that Apple is demonstrating to us that they are in talks with not cable companies, but the networks themselves. Yes. And I get that impression because of the number of channels that are now available on our Apple TV. But as Buddy mentioned... You actually do have to have a cable subscription with those channels. For instance, I have a pretty basic cable subscription. I do not have the Smithsonian channel, so therefore I can't use my cable. I think the Smithsonian channel doesn't count. I think the Smithsonian channel you get, it's Disney, ESPN, Disney, HBO, HBO. Go, ESPN. What were the, um, probably the weather channel. No, the weather channel I think works, I think. I'll have to check. But there's some yeah, that, that don't. That and Vivo has been talked a lot about. Yeah, the Vivo music channel I think you get too. But some of them you don't unless yeah. you have a cable subscription already. And then that begs the question, why would you? Well, the reason why you would still utilize the Apple TV if you have a cable subscription is because you don't have to deal with commercials. Right. Oh, well, there's that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the exact reason. And if you're a parent and you've got access to the Disney Channel through your cable subscription, maybe you want to be able to choose the shows or maybe your kid's in love with a particular show. If you use the Apple TV to get access to the Disney Channel, you don't have to worry about their schedule, right? You can have your kids watch the shows whenever they want to. Yep. So I think that would be the reason why 
you would still have your cable subscription. But I'm hoping that we're going away from that. But I don't Me know. too. So I've never laid my hands on an Apple TV. I got two questions. One, approximately okay. how big is it? And number two, is it perfectly fine to use it without hooking it to a TV? It is bigger than a hockey puck. It is, but, but not, not by much. much. It's very small. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's maybe three inches square. Right. The other question, Jamie, is I believe you would need to at least an, attach it to a receiver. So it has to connect to some kind of device. You have to minimally connect okay. it to something with optical audio. Right. But Netflix and Hulu actually require an HDMI video signal that's oh, actually present. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, at least they have last time I used them. If they don't have one, then they spaz and they don't play audio. Okay. But I will tell you that I have a setup where we go through our receiver. So I don't actually yep. have to turn on the television to watch Netflix. You do for Netflix. However, oh well, you might for Netflix. Nope, I don't have to turn on my TV because it's going. Okay, so yeah, see, I've got mine set up with HDMI through to the TV because my uh-huh. what you call it? Yeah, that's what has I one have. HDMI input and it's connected okay. to the TV, and so then I've got optical audio connected through to the stereo. And actually, they make and I've got a link to it, but they make a toss link connector but they may they actually make an adapter that goes from that to analog stereo speakers so if you really don't have anything that has optical audio you could put speakers on it i guess okay. but you'd still need to take care of hdmi through some means you'd still you need would. to take care of hdmi for some things yeah and honestly if you're listening to this podcast and you're one of those people that doesn't have an apple tv my question to you would be why because I, right. I honestly think it is one of the best $100 that you're going to spend. Oh, yeah. It is well, t- even if you never use it for TV, okay? Even yeah. if you use it as a, as a media streamer and uh, right. internet webcast, uh, internet radio player. Searching YouTube? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I mean, like those things will play, actually, with no speakers. Uh, right. In fact, I think that even actually iTunes movies and TV things will play with no HDMI. Okay. So if you even if you buy it and set it up just to connect through audio and play internet radio through it, yeah, it's worth it. Now, you know, people are going to tell you, well, you know, Roku has more content. Yeah, Roku has more content. They only have one problem. It's not, it's not accessible. accessible. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that's the kicker, right? I mean, I can turn on voiceover and I can use the Apple TV independently, and that's huge. I don't care how much content it has, and it's getting more every single day. So, I mean, why are we, why even make the comparison? So, on the note of Apple TV and iTunes Radio, let's talk about iOS 7, because it's iOS 7 day. And tell me, you guys who've actually gotten to play with iOS 7, because at this point, my download's probably not even halfway done. Why should I use iTunes Radio rather than Pandora? It's built in, and you don't have to pay for it. That's two good reasons right there. (laughs) Okay, but I don't have to pay for Pandora either. Well, that's true, but if you've got iTunes set up already, iTunes Radio is already there. You don't have to sign in. Now, if you're already signed into Pandora, and you've got your account set up and everything, and if you're signed up for iTunes Match already, if you're an iTunes Match subscriber for your 25 bucks a year, you get unlimited skips and you get no commercials. Ah. Okay. Um, If you're not... I think you get six skips. It's usually six. That's what it is on Spotify and Pandora. And your library is integrated into iTunes Radio. Oh, nice. Ah, yes. So just for my knowledge, so one of the things I hate about Pandora, and maybe this doesn't apply to everybody, I find that their repeating of songs 
on some of my stations, I can literally predict with almost certainty what they're going to play in the first, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes. And it drives me bonkers. Yeah, I don't know if iTunes radio has fixed that or not. I haven't had enough okay. playtime on it to be able to tell you for sure. Okay. Derek, do you have an opinion on that? Does iTunes radio do a better job of giving you more diverse set of songs? I think so, because Apple's had genius for a while. So they've right. already sort of been practicing at the whole, you know, anticipating what you might like kind of gig. Okay. So I would say so. All right. Both are useful. Both are useful. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Pandora is going away anytime soon. No, no, Pandora is not going anywhere. Although we should mention that none of the streaming radio options out there have actually made any money. And the entering of iTunes radio may be very, very painful to Spotify and Pandora and other companies. I kind of think iTunes radio is going to make money hand over fist. Yep, that's what I think too. One of the reasons that these other guys aren't making money is because they don't have the music store, right? When you go to buy a track... Correct, you exit from their place. Right, the links are to where? iTunes or Amazon Amazon. maybe sometimes. Go buy this song on iTunes, go buy this song on Amazon. You're going to go buy it on iTunes and iTunes radio, so it's right there. Yep. That's going to make money hand over fist. Okay, so I'm familiar with Spotify and I'm familiar with looking up a track or an album of an artist. Can I do that on iTunes radio or is it just like Pandora? Okay, so I can look up artists. Yeah, you can look up artists. You can set up a station around a certain artist, around a certain song even. Like if you put in a song title, it'll find songs theoretically like that one. Which you can also do in Pandora. What if I want to listen to an album? Like if I want to listen to the latest album by so-and-so. no. No. So I still need Spotify for that. Okay. Right. And as we all can complain here on the podcast, maybe Spotify is listening. How about we make your desktop application accessible? That would be really yeah, neat. Well, you could do a little bit of work on the iOS app, actually. Um, that's not great either. It's doable. But it's it doable, some. but you can't stream without paying for a Spotify subscription. You well, cannot this just is true. play music. Well, I went ahead and chose to do that, but even at that. Yeah. The usability is kind of dicey. Uh, okay, but we digress. When do we ever do that? When do we digress? <laughs> so everybody's gotten to hear about the fancy new things in iOS 7 that Apple decided to tell us about. And for the most part, they're, oh my God, visual, visual, visual. Look how pretty it is. And there's animation. It is pretty. And it's flat. Blah, 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 it's blah, pretty blah, flat. Blah. And voiceover users are going, why do we care? So... Let's talk about what are some changes that people are going to see in the new voiceover. It sounds a little different. Okay. It does. The voices, I think, are a little bit faster. And the consequence of that, especially with the Australian English voice, which a lot of people love, I don't because I think she breathes too much. She's (gasps) all the time. Yeah, but she's not angry like Samantha is. So No. Samantha's angry, yes. Daniel just sounds way too proper. (laughs) Well, the rest of them smoke. I do like the South African. You know, she kind of does this. An Irish English voice, if she didn't smoke, you know, she'd be all right. But she does. (laughs) The compact Daniel's just awful. I don't like Daniel. Yeah. The compact Daniel is horrible. It it does not open its mouth. It it talks like this all the time. It's not good. It's a short kind of The high quality one's a little better, though. Uh, A little bit. 
I mean, the compact Daniel is pretty awful, but the so you can so you pick the, the uh, one you hate the least, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Pretty much. Yeah. The upshot of which is that you can download individual voices of different qualities because Correct. within you the can. voiceover settings, there is a languages and dialects button. So you can have a default dialect independent of the region you set when you um, set up right. your phone, which is very nice. So basically, what you can do and what I've done is like I went through and set the default dialect to each of the English voices and so downloaded all of the high quality English voices went after the other that way and so then you have all the high quality voices in your rotor yep gotcha if you have languages in your probably eats memory like a and speaking of another thing you can have in your rotor you have um, the options it's not there by default but you can add it of course you can turn your voiceover sounds on and off right which makes navigation faster it does improve right because it doesn't play the sound it gets on with the Right, with the action itself. And um, voiceover sounds are independent of the mute switch, too, which is a little disconcerting. That's a bummer. So So explain that a little bit. Okay, normally if you mute your phone and you're flipping through uh, elements on the home screen or in any app. Yeah, you lose your keyboard clicks. You still have those. Now. Okay. Really? Yep. Doesn't matter if the oh. switch is flipped or not. It's a voiceover setting. I'd like to be able to adjust the volume of those independent of other <laughs> ringer and sound Wouldn't volumes. Wouldn't that be neat? I'm excited because there finally is now a distinction between voiceover and Siri. As a trainer of people on iOS devices, I am commonly getting the frustration with my clients who call voiceover Siri mm-hmm. when they in fact are two different entities. <laughs> and now that Siri has new voices, we voiceover yeah. users actually get to hear said voices instead of the one that we pick for voiceover, which I think is great. Unfortunately, these voices can't be used in voiceover, which makes me sad, especially because they are very <sighs> well done. Yeah. The male voice is especially distinct from any of the other voices which are and designated like to voiceover. I would take him over Samantha. I think he sounds day. a little like Steve Jobs. He does sound a little like Steve Jobs, actually. So let's see if... Uh, Siri agrees, actually, with the Steve Jobs thing. I think you sound like Steve Jobs. What do you think? This is the point. I think, therefore I am. But let's not put the cart before the horse. <laughs> he tried to get all like, get oh, all the cart before the horse. Oh, man. Oh, no way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. It's awesome. Mm. Descartes before Descartes. That was painful. (laughs) All right. Uh. Jamie thinks you sound like Steve Jobs. What do you think? It's your opinion that counts, Derek. Well, there you go. (laughs) My opinion doesn't count, Derek. Just yours. You're special. Jamie's Jamie's opinion doesn't mean anything. No, apparently not. Um, And if those of you who are paying attention may have noticed, uh, the sound for Siri is different. And there are a lot of other sounds in iOS that are now different. They're they're slightly different. Yeah, yeah. the ringtones. Lots of ringtones. And I think there's a link. There is. There's a link in our show notes to all of the new ringtones. So if you didn't play around with them on your phone yet, or you haven't had a chance to download iOS 7, you can go and listen to all of those. Oh, and they also changed the docking sound. Oh, wow. That's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they changed the docking sound. Oh. There it is. Okay. So some other voiceover changes. Um, Well, this is specific to Siri, actually, but it does matter to us. You can now turn voiceover on and off using Siri. Okay, I turned off voiceover. You can also turn your Bluetooth Wi-Fi. Turn voiceover on. 
Okay, I turned on voiceover. Fantastic. You know, one place I think this is really going to be the uh, distinction between Siri and voiceover is in Apple Maps. If you're in a car and you've got voiceover set at 100% and the driver is trying to listen to that, that's a little disconcerting to them. But where the maps are going to be using the default voice, and yet you're still able to use voiceover for whatever you're doing. I think that's actually going to be really helpful. That's a good point. I've been there. (laughs) Do we have any upgrades in maps? I haven't played with it. It's different, but not like something that you could really show off effectively without moving. Okay. We got a uh, control center. You can do a lot of, turn a lot of things on and off in control center very, very easily where you couldn't before. And that's reflected in the hint you get when you double tap the uh, status bar on any of the home pages. So it tells you you can swipe up with three fingers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Swipe up with three fingers for the there control center, folks. And it mentioned the notification center. That's changed a lot. Okay. Tell us about the new notification center. Yeah. When you bring up the notification center, you get a calendar, like your daily calendar. It'll tell you what you've got on tap for the day. If you want to see the notification center stuff that you're used to seeing, like all of your, it tells you the weather too, but if you want to see all the rest of it, like, you know, all the notifications from all of your apps, like that, you know, all of your shops in Solera have gold for you to collect, something like that, (laughs) you have to press the all tab and that will show all of those. But by default, when you first open it up, it shows you your current weather conditions in your calendar. Which in my case often has nothing on it. So uh, mine either. Boring. I'm not nearly that organized. <laughs> you can go into the notification center settings and disable all that stuff and sort of yeah, get I'm it sure you to can. something I'm resembling sure you can. the way it looks in six. Okay. But I haven't, I have not done this thing and I probably will not. Okay. John, do you have a favorite new feature in iOS 7 specific to voiceover? Well, I haven't finished downloading it, so I can't really say yet. <laughs> didn't have time before. the. I was hoping to have it done before the podcast, but it uh, didn't work out that way, unfortunately. So I didn't bring my homework to school, teacher. No, oh, it's all right. I'm excited that you're going to you be able to- You get an F. F for fantastic. Get rid of apps out of your app switcher <laughs> with the actions. That's going to be awesome. Yes. Portion of your rotor. Yeah, that's I good. I decided that- Double tap and hold is a very frustrating gesture for a lot of people. Yeah, well, a lot of people are going to hate the new way to get search then. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, but how many of us use it? (laughs) The um, app switcher can also dismiss apps if you do a three-finger swipe from the bottom of the screen up. So if you're just in a mad dash to clear the whole thing off, you can just swipe, 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 and it's gone. Um, Nice. Oh, that's cool. I don't I don't close my apps anymore unless they're navigation GPS apps because they hog my battery. So it's been nice, but it you know, I do have like twenty pages of <laughs> of apps in my app switcher. So Right. Well that's usually me too. Yeah. People don't really understand how many applications they have until they look at their app switcher and they go, Oh my gosh. How? Ah, I'm so excited that folders are no longer going to be limited to 11 apps. No, that's good. Yeah, now I can (sighs) sort of consolidate things a bit. I would really like to go back to one page. It's like the good news is folders are multi-page. The bad news is you can put fewer things on a page. So where before you could put 12 things in your folder, now it's like nine Nine per page. page. But you can have a lot of pages. Let's talk a little bit about Braille. Has there been any changes to Braille in iOS 7? 
I don't, I don't know, have I'm a angry display. at my braille display at the no, moment. No, bugger, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> You've let her down. <laughs> I have a braille display, but I don't have iOS 7, so. <laughs> I have one, but it's making me angry. Cell number 33 <laughs> is giving me problems again, even though it's been sent off twice. And so <sighs> I'm angry about it. Because uh, I was kind of hoping you were going to say, yes, they fixed the braille tables problem. And that, you know, Jonathan's comment on how retarded it is that your braille will expand in the middle of a word got fixed but probably not to which she refers to an interview which we will hear later in this podcast (laughs) so for those who are sitting on the fence about buying a new iphone or if you already decided to buy one you will not only be getting ios 7 but you also get free copies of every single application that comes in iWork, which is Pages, Numbers, and Keynote. And you also will get iPhoto and iMovie. So they used to be $10 a piece. And for those of us who have older devices, they're still $10 a piece. But if you are going to get a new device, then you will also get this suite of applications. It's a pretty sweet deal. It is a very sweet deal. And it's really smart of Apple to do it. It is. Now, if only they could fix the accessibility problems. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we digress. We never iWork digress. is still not a perfect set of applications, in my opinion. As a Mac user, I primarily use TextEdit as my word processor, and that's partly because it's so much more simple. But it's also because I don't know that, that really, I need really everything fast. that I... It's really, really fast. Yeah. And Pages just gets on my nerves, to be honest with you. So we're just skimming the surface, of course, of what is actually available in iOS 7. You can, of course, visit Apple's website to look at all of their 200 new features, because there's always 200 new features. Of course Uh, there are. Magic number. Yes. (laughs) Magic number. Yep. That's the magic number. 200. 200. I I love it. I'm sure that the people who work for Apple, you know, they probably have this rule. Okay. I need a list of 200 features, people. Make it happen. We're stuck at 197. Come on. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of those things that Apple's going to list on their website are frankly not really all that exciting for those of us who can't see. So coming up next, I have an interview with Mr. Jonathan Mousen, as Buddy would like me to say it. (laughs) And, uh... (laughs) He is going to talk with me about his upcoming book, which is getting released today. If you didn't purchase it for the half-off price, it is now $20, but it's called iOS 7 Without Without the Eye. Are you tired of browsing through thousands of sites just to find the news you want? What about recipes, shopping, radio stations? Wouldn't it be great if there was a single place where you could find all these things and a lot more? There is. There is. Discover SamNet with the widest and most complete content ever assembled for the blind community. And speaking of community, you can use SamNet's voice chat, instant messaging, and users forums to communicate with family, friends, and others who share your interests. To learn more about SamNet, please visit www.serotech.com. That's www.serotech.com. Or call us toll-free at 866-202-0520. We're Serotech. The accessibility anywhere, people. So for this month, we have an interview for you guys with Mr. Jonathan Mosen. He is writing a new ebook that is going to be an overview of iOS 7 
and how it will be useful for those of us who use accessibility. Because as you guys probably already know, the documentation that's going to come out on the new iOS operating system is probably not going to be necessarily very useful for us blind folks. So Jonathan, welcome to the Triple Click Home podcast. We appreciate you joining us. Hey, Lena, it's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write the book and what that process has been like? Well, I've been reading a lot about iOS 7 and I've been testing it as a developer for a wee while now. And as I've been doing the reading, there's been a lot of attention being paid to the way that iOS 7 looks. It's a really dramatic visual makeover for the operating system. And so as you read those blogs that are choosing to ignore the NDA and talk about it already, you get a lot of focus on the way that the thing looks. And so I thought, well, actually, all of this discussion about the way that it looks is really obscuring the fact that there are actually a lot of really cool new features in iOS 7. And it might be quite difficult for blind people to get through all of this visual clutter to get to the information that really matters to us. What is new in iOS 7 from a functionality point of view? And um, I've been working on a number of ebooks. I have another one coming out quite soon called Tweeting Blind, which has been a massive project. And so I thought, well, you know, I've been playing with this thing. May as well just write an ebook. Uh, there'll be some great free podcasts out there that talk about iOS right. 7. And that's excellent. And, and they're great resources. But I know a lot of people, as I've been getting into my Mosin Consulting Company, have said, look, you know, podcasts are fine, but we like to have something that we can search that we can bring up in a document reader and look at stuff and have it under our fingertips and braille and that sort of stuff. So I thought I could fill a niche, not to necessarily replace all of those great resources, but just supplement them. Yeah. And you bring up a really great point. I am actually an adaptive technology teacher. So I totally understand the perspective you're coming from where a lot of my clients say, okay, well, I feel like I learned a lot during our lesson is there a step-by-step guide to exactly what we learned today? And in a lot of cases, I have to tell them no. And I can put out that step-by-step myself, but it's not put out in any official project by any particular company or or organization. You mentioned that you're writing another book. So do you feel like writing an ebook has been a new journey for you? Or what have been the challenges? I've always enjoyed writing. And I've written a lot of uh, material in New Zealand and other contexts, sort of some political stuff. Okay. I wrote a master's thesis a while ago, which I really did enjoy. And so I like to write. Uh I've done in recent years a lot more audio-related technology work than written tech work. Right. But it's good. There's something creative about writing, you know, to sit down and, and phrase things in just the right way. And I think also it takes a lot more discipline because really sort of with no disrespect intended to anybody, podcasts vary a lot in quality. Anybody can just sort of sit down and put a microphone in front of an iPhone or something and just play with it to see what it does. And other people are a lot more structured and they edit and they try to get some kind of um, structure to it. But there's a lot of variation in quality. And the problem that you have with podcasts is that you're kind of stuck at the pace of the person doing the podcast and some people need a bit more handholding and some people wish to goodness they would speed up. So <laughs> with a book, you've got a lot more flexibility because you can skim ahead a few right. paragraphs and that sort okay. of stuff. Do you know what kind of format you plan on actually using for your book? For iOS 7 without the I, which is an entirely self-published effort, 
My intention at this stage is to produce a zip file which will contain an RTF version okay. of the book because then you can read it on a Mac right. and PC. You can bring it into an app for iOS like Voice Dream Reader, which is a fantastic app. It'll be nicely formatted with headings okay. and subheadings. So programs that respect those will allow you to zip around. And there'll also be an accessible PDF because I want to be able to make it readable in uh -huh. iBooks. The Tweeting Blind book is a much bigger project and National Braille Press will be distributing okay. that in hard copy Braille, refreshable Braille. I think they call it eBraille, right. something like that. And then also they'll be doing a Daisy version of it. And also the book will be available through iBooks and other stores like that. So Tweeting Blind is a much longer undertaking. I've been working on that for quite a few months. Okay, I'm guessing that that book is going to cover what Twitter platforms are really useful to people and that kind of thing, or what's that book going to focus on? That book, yes, it starts off assuming that you don't know anything about Twitter, and it talks about what it is, why you might be interested in getting on it, because there's a lot of jargon associated with Twitter, you know, right. hashtags and followers and following. So we'll cover that. And then we move on to using Twitter via text messaging, which is actually quite a powerful platform that a lot of people overlook. And the Twitter website has recently gone through a massive accessibility makeover. So the Twitter website's very, very Indeed, accessible they're now. they're making it much better. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and there are a lot of hidden functions, particularly for Windows users who have... Uh, quick navigation keys that actually obscure some of the stuff that Twitter is doing. So we delve into that and show you just how powerful the Twitter website is. And then we have chapters on the PC, Mac, iOS, and Android, and look at a few specific clients on each of those and how to use them. Okay, that's fantastic. That'll be a really great resource for the entire community. I hope so. I think Twitter is a great medium for blind people, you know, because it's text based pretty much with the exception of, you know, sort of Vine and Instagram and a few things creeping in now. But fundamentally, it's a textual medium. And um, I really enjoy Twitter. I find myself enjoying Twitter a lot more than Facebook. I'm, I'm on Twitter because I like it. And I'm on Facebook because I feel I have to be. <laughs> I think I'm right there with you because, you know, you and I are the we connected through Twitter. So yeah, I find that it also is a highly useful medium because it's, like you said, it's so simple. And that's, to me, the reason why I appreciate Twitter. And I think based on the numbers that I've seen, it's pretty clear that the blind community has really embraced Twitter. And it's a really great way for us to connect with each other throughout the entire world. And I don't think we have anything else that's just like that. No, it's kind of like this massive virtual water cooler, you know, and sometimes <laughs> yeah. it has its moments, but I guess any social media does. Yes, there are times where we have some blind drama, <laughs> as it were. Mm. But I also like how many clients that are actually available on the iOS platform are really quite accessible to us. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, when you go back to the days of, say, Symbian or Windows Mobile, the question that everybody asked was, is there an accessible way to do such and such? And now, more often than not, the question is, what is the most accessible way? Or what are the accessible ways? So there's often a plural solution. I personally still like Tweetlist because I make use of a lot of Twitter lists. I've got a lot of uh, people following me, and I follow, I think, about 900 people. And I just find that without using uh -huh. lists properly, I can't keep up and get any work done. So unfortunately, Twitterific does, <laughs> right. not, yeah, Twitterific does not handle lists that well. You can browse lists, but it's uh, not okay. possible to make them and manage them and things. So although I prefer the push, with Twitterific, which is much better than Tweetlist's push. Overall, in terms of functionality, I still find myself 
coming back to Tweetless for day-to-day use on the iPhone. Okay, that's good to know. And I similarly still stick with Tweetlist. I have multiple accounts that I'm also in charge of, so that's one of the reasons I like it. It's very easy to switch between those accounts. All right, welcome back, everybody. That was a good part one interview uh, Alina had with uh, Jonathan Mosin. I just wanted to just take a quick moment before we return us to our regularly scheduled uh, program here and get back into the Apple news. Uh, I had an interesting experience a couple of weeks ago. Got to go to Fenway Park on September the 4th to see them destroy the Tigers 20 to 4. But why I wanted to bring it up is I wanted to just uh, give a salute or a hats off to the disability services at Fenway Park did a really nice job for those of you who are in that area, whoever want to go to a Boston Red Sox game. I know I'm a New Yorker and there's probably Yankee fans out there with that want to crucify me at this point for giving the plug. But for a $20 deposit that you get returned at the end of the game, you get a Walkman that gives you the audio of the game. So in case you don't have an iPod Nano or a radio with you, you get the WEEI broadcast directly in the Walkman. So it was just a great experience. The people there were very nice. I can't say enough great things about their disability services. So if you're in the Boston area during the summer and you want to get to a game, I really highly recommend it as a blind person. That's fantastic because, I mean, as I'm sure most people would agree, the best way to listen to any kind of sports activity for those of us who can't see what's happening is on the radio because they have to give the (laughs) play-by-play. Right, the announcers that are in the park I can't stand the announcers in the park. They're useless. Well, like, I don't know about anywhere else, but at our little minor league baseball team here in beautiful and hysterical Erie, Pennsylvania, the Erie Seawolves, their games, the announcers basically tell you um, things like, this pitch sponsored by... Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> or they'll tell you things about the players, and I'm like, who the heck cares? They hardly ever, they hardly ever tell us anything about the players. They just tell us about who sponsored this last pitch. Oh, okay. All right, getting back to our regularly scheduled program here with Apple News. Not really all that surprising to me, but apparently to take advantage of the Apple trade-in program for older iPhones, you can only use the credit towards a new iPhone. So you get a gift card, but you immediately have to use that gift card on only purchasing a new iPhone. Which means you can't get the 4S. Right. If you're going to go in with your 3GS or your 4 and you want to trade in for the 4S, they're going to go, sorry, this is only Apple in-store credit. Too bad, essentially. Right, which, you know, I guess you can't really blame Apple. You know, you want to promote yourself, but it also, in a way, is a little questionable, I guess. Yeah, and it begs the question for those, you know, Buddy mentioned Gazelle. There are also other places that you can sell your iPhone back. Amazon actually has quite reasonable trade-in pricing for their devices as well. So if you're on the side of maybe I'm not going to buy my phone at an Apple store or I don't have an Apple store near me, which would be me. In fact, my closest one would is be like me. 80 miles Apple, or something ridiculous. <laughs> I don't have an Apple store anywhere closer in two hours. Yep. So if you're in that situation, then using another service might be the way to go. But I think I'm with John. I think it's not surprising that they came out with this rule. Walmart apparently will give you up to $300 for your older phone. 
So they've gotten on the bandwagon as another place for you to take your phone and exchange it for it's Walmart cash. It's pretend money. I yeah. think it's pretend Walmart yeah, pretend money. money. Right. Yeah. Okay. Pretend Walmart money. How do you think they're pretend money? I think the Amazon thing might be pretend money too. Right. I'm not yeah, sure. I think so. But Gazelle will give you either pretend Gazelle Amazon will money give you or cash. real money. Yes. Yeah. Gazelle will give you real money. Yep. And you get like 5% more if you use an Amazon gift card. That was cool. Yeah, if you if you let them pay yesterday. you on an Amazon fake money thing, you'll get $5 more in fake Amazon money. Okay, Neat. Okay. And actually, I say fake Amazon money, but you can buy just about anything at Amazon. So it's almost yeah, exactly. like real money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's definitely real money. I just got there six months free of Prime because I'm a graduate student. And the only bummer part is that all I get is the free shipping. And I know that's totally why you get Prime, but... I wanted that is the exactly why I that, get Brian. That didn't come with my free offer. But that's all right. Another news, PayPal, their app has just been updated. So if you have the PayPal app or you haven't downloaded it, you should. It's very accessible. One of the that's really great. cool new features in the PayPal app is that you can actually pay using your phone if you have a merchant yes. that uses PayPal. When I did my little search in my area, I'm sad to report that Home Depot is the only place in Corvallis that actually allows me to pay using my phone. So that's a real bummer. They're planning to do some kind of interesting things, though. Like if you register your phone with PayPal, they want to set up a program where you can check when you go into a merchant that has this gadget plugged into their wall, the PayPal beacon. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah, it'll detect your phone and show a picture of you. You know, to the, the to the merchant, and, and so they can call you by name and like address you like they know you. Which I don't know. It seems a little creepy and disingenuous <laughs> to me. But then you don't have to pay any. You just go in, you get your stuff, yep. they swipe it so that that it doesn't set the alarm off, and you're done. You go home. That's kind of yep. cool. Yeah, and I think that's really the way that we're headed. If you're fortunate enough to live in a town where you have restaurants that use PayPal. You can actually order your food in advance and show up and pay using your phone and then walk out with your food. So Corvallis businesses should do that. That would be neat. On a random related PayPal note, the PayPal credit card reader that goes with the PayPal Here app, it's sort of like their answer to Square. So like people can sell their stuff or whatever and take credit card payments through PayPal. Yeah. They have... Slightly better rates than Square, but I think I haven't played with it much, but I've got the reader. But unlike Square, their reader is triangular, so that that makes it different and better because it's a triangle instead of a square. One less side. That's right. (laughs) Well, actually, though, it's really well thought out when you plug it into your headphone jack and it works exactly the same way as the Square reader in that respect. But unlike the Square reader, the length of the width of your phone, in other words, when you plug it in, it takes up basically the whole top half of your phone. So it's like when you slide a card through, it sort of fits through better. I mean, like the square thing is very small. And so you have to swipe more swipey swipe thing because it's small. <laughs> I actually have a um, an interesting story with Square. There are a couple of businesses here in town that have started using it, which I'm really yes. totally all for. I think that's I'm, I'm all about fantastic. that. I think it's awesome. However, I was at my local coffee shop the other day, and she said, oh, well, have you gotten to use our iPad before? And I was like, yes. And because there was no voiceover 
turned on and I don't even know if that's something that they could have done for me. The first thing she said was, do you want to put on a tip? And I was feeling stingy because I personally think they charge me too much for my coffee anyway. So I said, no, but I felt embarrassed about it. Like, I have to be told by you there's this thing that says, do you want to add a tip? And then I have to admit to you that I don't, in fact, want to add a tip. And then, <laughs> I don't know. At least in your case, they could have probably turned voiceover on and it might have read. But there's this one pizza delivery place here in town that uses Square. Their drivers uh-huh. come out with their Square. Yeah. And, okay, you want to sign and they take out their phone and you draw your signature on the screen and everything. Right. But they were using Android and there isn't a way to just turn voiceover on and off easily. Like the or, right, excuse me, or talk, talk back, back, yeah, on Android easily like that. So you might have had an out. In my case, I would not have had an out at all. <laughs> I just felt like, oh God, this is bad. Personally, I really loathe going into businesses and paying for things on my own. And I know maybe this is petty, but all of the machines that you use for your debit card, they're all different. So. Most of the ones we have here in town, the keypad is accessible, which is great. So I can actually use my PIN number. But the first thing I do after I swipe my card is I have to say to the cashier, okay, what does it want now? Because it's never swipe your card, put in your PIN, hit the OK button. It's swipe your card and then, oh, it wants to know if you want debit or credit. Okay, and now it wants to know if you want cash back. And I'm like... I just want to put in my PIN number and yeah, be actually, done. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm just thinking about that now because I've had that happen. Yeah, it's kind places. of a pain, but I mean, what are, what are we going to do? I mean, it would be nice know. if all yeah. the checkout kiosks talked, but you know. The other option is to have your card run as credit and then they hand you the slip of paper. And I don't know about you guys, but even with the guide dog, I have a lot of people who don't pick up on the whole I can't see thing. And... <laughs> So then they hand me the paper and the pen, and then I'm doing the, okay, I really should just say to you, where do you want me to sign this? Uh, Well, see, I learned that it's always at the bottom, and so I've kind of learned that it's so far up from the bottom, yeah. Okay. And usually I'm pretty darn close, because, I mean, like, credit card slips are pretty much the same. You're not going to need to sign the top or the middle or whatever of one and the bottom of another one. They're all pretty much the same. Right. So it's good. I think Square's great. But, you know, like I said, I was really just in that awkward position of. No, I don't want to tip you. Uh, I really just I want to sign. I don't want to tip you. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, but no, I'm not going to add a tip to my uh, over $3 chai tea. I'm sorry. This is me being cheapskate. So our, our last little headline we have for you guys in our show notes today is that Apple's gotten an, another patent. Because that's what they do. They have patents for everything, right? Actually, this patent actually looks kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I think this is really Universal remote. The home I'm of the future, 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 yes. future, well, future. A friend of mine future. has been talking about this, that Apple was heading this direction. I used to think he was crazy about talking about this, how you could be controlling everything in your house at some point. And this really looks like he's right. Yeah. Now, of course, the devices that you're going to be controlling do have to have a way to talk to your iPhone. So if you haven't upgraded your electronics That's in common. a long I mean, time, you, then... All these companies are coming out with things that you plug into things that give them Bluetooth and things that you plug into other things that convert your infrared things to Bluetooth things and yep. all kinds of... Yep. So 
this isn't that far-fetched. No. No, it's really not. not. And, you know, I have a universal remote that we have for our entertainment system. About six and universal remotes. Pretty- they're, all use- they're all equally useless. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine's been programmed pretty well, but it would really be great to have access to that universal remote on my phone. And I need my TV to talk. That's the next thing, right? But at least then I could know that I'm hitting the right button. I'm still going on record with this. Apple is not coming out with a set-top box. Yeah, okay. TV, no. I disagree with you, but we'll see. Only time will tell. What is your opinion on this, John? My butt hurts for being on the fence. (laughs) (laughs) At times, I lean in Alina's direction, and at times, I lean in your direction. So I'm not quite sure yet. All right. So coming up after another quick break, we have our mailbag and... We'll be talking about any eye reports that we've gotten as well as your emails, so stay tuned. Make sure your child is up with the alarm and ready for school each morning because missing just 18 days, even in middle school, will put their graduation at risk. It's up to you. Learn more at BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Triple Click 22. And what is Mr. Paul's doing bringing us back, you ask? Well, I'm going to heft this here mailbag. We've got several things. Uh, I'm not going to do all the talking, though. I'm just going to pick it up and kind of drop it over here on this table. Hey, watch it. Oh, sorry. I didn't see your finger there. <laughs> Oops. Okay. <laughs> well, first we have an email from Laura Mulraney who asks about GarageBand and are there some resources? And as a matter of fact, there are. We're going to point you in the show notes to Ricardo Walker's mobile access podcast where you can uh, check out the Information. Yeah, one of them, he did something on GarageBand with yes. iOS. Also, we have an iReport from Mary Ellen asking about iTunes. Well, Mary Ellen, probably a series on iTunes for us would be a little bit outside of the scope of our podcast. I can tell you that one of the more recent Freedom Scientific podcasts, and it doesn't matter if you don't use JAWS, Jonathan Mosen talks about iTunes with JAWS, but that I think could be used with any screen reader for Windows John, I'm not so sure about Mac iTunes podcasts. Are you aware of anything? Yeah, I did one. You did? Yes, I okay. have one on my demonstration section so of the page. I'm busted for not looking at your site like I should. Okay, well, I'll take that. And also, John will be happy to consult with you about training opportunities. Yes, I Indeed. would. Indeed. So, com is a great resource. For so that, that you can do more with your Apple than just crunch. We also have... Uh, Fun email from uh, Janine Stanley, who writes in every so often, and and she talks about the exploding phone conversation and that we had on the last podcast. And we're just going to put that email in the show notes, and you can check it apparently out. Apparently, her husband's infamous. He was into that and can't talk about a lot of it. Yeah. Apparently, even to this uh, day, no. <laughs> so sworn to secrecy. Yeah. Finally, we have an eye report from Beth, known as Snow Bunny. And many of you have heard her. She brings up a question that comes up so every so often on lists and Twitter and this and that. And as a relatively new Mac user, this really sparks my interest. 
She asks about the efficiency of surfing the web with Safari and VoiceOver versus your favorite Windows screen reader and whether it is more or less efficient. I'm just going to yes. quickly say, yes, first of all, yes, it is. Absolutely. Yes. It's much more efficient. There are quick nav keys that you can turn on, guys and gals, to get some of this functionality, some of these quick keys back. I always forget yes. which ones you can use and which ones you can't. Um, They're all listed in your um, yeah. your voiceover, what's it called? Help, like the help. help. In commands, help. Um, there you go. It's also yes. in the getting started guide There's in the appendices. Right. So there's a couple of places you can locate it. And the web rotor is awesome. I like the web the rotor. Web rotor. It just is makes amazing. life so much easier. Yeah. yeah. So this is a note for any freedom scientific person who's listening or any other screen yeah, reader on any. Windows. I can only speak to JAWS because that's the only one I've ever used. Okay. But when I'm on my Mac and I bring up my web rotor, if I know the word mm-hmm. that I'm looking for, yeah. I just that's type the out item the word. Chaser. Yeah. No, you have the web rotor too, V O U. Control yeah. option. You can here. use you can... it in the web browser. See, I've always yeah. used the item chooser. That's the same yeah, you can do that You too. can use yeah. the item chooser. Item chooser is fantastic if you want to jump to a any part of your web page, which is amazing, especially when the web designer has done a terrible job at giving you the heading yeah. that you really wanted. Sometimes it takes a while for it to come up if the page is particularly large. It can, but I'll tell you what, I've used that item chooser to find parts of my books when I'm using my textbooks for my master's program. I use it all the time myself. And that's huge. Yeah. So with your web rotor, you can just start typing the word. You know, one of the things that always drove me bonkers with JAWS is that I'd bring up my links list, and then I know what link I'm looking for, but it was never the first one. And so I'd hit my T key or I'd hit my L key over and over and over again. Oh, look, there it is. That got really old really fast. So jumping to places on your web page is just so fast and it's so easy in Safari. And I don't have a good, enough good things to say. John, what's your experience? Is it the same? It's the same. And I think the biggest problem with a lot of people coming over to the Mac, and I see it all the time on email lists. I've read so many messages People just don't understand what tools they have at their disposal when it comes to Safari and VoiceOver. So really stop assuming that you can't do certain things and read a little bit of the documentation or ask specific questions because it's there. And, you know, I go back and forth. I have to with window eyes and, you know, web browsing. To me, it's just a lot more efficient and easier to do searching and general web browsing on the Mac at this point, especially as of Mountain Lion. The other kind of neat thing is that in general, now there are still some pages that don't work really well with Safari at all, but that's mostly because they don't work well with Safari, not because they don't work well with VoiceOver. Right. But if the page works, man, you can navigate to anything. If it's an image that's clickable, you can click it. Even if it doesn't say it's clickable, if something's clickable, you can click it, which you can't always do with Windows screen readers. You can really get to a lot more of the page a lot more often, I think, Yeah. on the Mac, which is kind of neat. So I'm definitely a fan of it myself. I'm right there with these guys. VoiceOver is also accessible with Chrome. So if you, right. for some reason, don't like Safari, you can use a different yeah, web browser. Chrome. Right, and Firefox is coming along. It's a little sluggish. It's but coming along. It's at least in that direction. So maybe in a I'll couple I'll tell you of what, months. though. I don't know a lot of Windows users that are happy with Firefox. So they need to fix some things. Oh, so it's on the Windows side, too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the thing I, I will say about, and we could talk about this for another 25 minutes, but 
the way for me to just kind of conclude my thoughts on this are I am perfectly comfortable paying bills on my MacBook Pro. Oh, yeah. I, I, yes. I am that comfortable Absolutely. with navigating web page. I mean, if you can do that, you're comfortable, you know. Right. Yeah. Getting ready to hit that. Well, especially with button. some of these bank websites. Some of these bank yeah. websites are terrible. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, but we didn't, of course, mention the thing that makes voiceover so much better. And it's not because it's voiceover, it's because it's Safari, and that's Reader. Oh, yes, the Safari yeah. Reader. The yeah. Reader is awesome. To me, that makes any other web browser completely useless. Do you know how much faster Reader makes my reading the articles for the show? Exactly. Wow. Me oh too. my God, it's amazing. Page yeah. loads, do your command shift R, uh, and boom. boom. You just read just the article. Yep, that's it. Yeah, and it does a pretty good job. Sometimes it'll, like if you're looking at an article that has a list of things, sometimes that goes away. But very often, about 90% of the time, I would say that it does a really good job of capturing just what you want. Reading PDFs in Safari works great as well, as long as the PDF is accessible. Right. But if it's not, you can, of course, just load it into DocuScan Plus and then, ta-da! That's what I do. You That's got right. it right there. Resources at saratalk.com is a way for you to get a hold of us. You can leave an iReport on iBlink Radio using your iOS device or, if you must, your Android device. Go to tripleclickhome.com. How many followers are we up to on Twitter? <sighs> well, uh, I don't know. Lots. Let's it's over 2,500, correct? That's what I was getting ready to say. That's what I was thinking. Yes. More than so. more than you. We got to surpass Blind Bargains and Jonathan Mosin. And she can goal. say that since she works with Blind Bargains. Um, so she can get away with that. So I would be afraid <laughs> to, but all right. <laughs> JJ's going to hate me. <laughs> oh, well, you know, he'll just get back at you on that Android show somehow. Yeah. He'll get over it. Yeah. yeah. He's a cool guy. TripleClickHome.com, show notes, and leave a comment on the blog as well. And I'm done. Let's talk about app picks of the month, guys and gals. I'll tell you what, this uh, this this new uh, Apple II emulator is pretty darn cool. <laughs> okay, buddy, why don't you tell us about the Apple II emulator? And Derek, you should pipe in as well. Yeah, there are versions for Windows or the Mac. Correct. On the Mac version, you do have to run it from Terminal but there are very good instructions for doing it. And when you turn this thing on, man, it sounds just like an Apple IIe with an mm. Echo speech synthesizer in it. Mispronunciations and all. It's the real McCoy, man. It comes with all the yeah, games. Yeah, somebody and... hacked the Echo ROM or did something. It's not recorded samples. <laughs> no, of it's, it's not. Echo. If you write in Bex, you can have a good old fun. Yeah, video. if you miss the days of editing your stuff in Bex, you can do that <laughs> because it comes with Bex discs. And it comes with all the wow. old stuff from APH. It comes with all the games that you grew up with, if you were That's... one of us and grew up with that. I had a lot of vision when I was younger, so I'm excited to hear this voice. I had a very nice time playing Lemonade Stand on a netbook just because I couldn't yeah, find any other more non-Apple way to play my Apple IIe <laughs> emulator as a netbook. I, I played it on my MacBook Pro, uh, played <laughs> Lemonade Stand. and No, it's Lemonade. It, you're, right. You're, you're right, it is. <laughs> And I told Melanie when, when I got this thing, okay, look, you're, you're always wondering how can I possibly understand these computers? This right here is how. And I played her that, and she said, what did that thing say? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. There's a great website now that will point to you guys in the show notes where you can get the files for both Windows and Mac and the instructions on how to use it on either system. 
And it's been uh, buzzing on Twitter for a couple weeks now, and people are pretty excited about this. You can relive your childhood if you're one of those that are in our 30s and 40s, maybe even younger, and get a feel for what it was like to play the games of the 80s. Yes. On emulated 80s hardware. Yeah. With music made out of computer beeps and speech <laughs> synthesizers that mispronounce most words. <laughs> oh, yep. God. Oh, and do back up your disk images, guys, when you get this installed before you do anything to it. Because the thing was so real that I got hung up in something and I was just like, oh, screw it. And I turned it off. I exited the thing. And then the image wouldn't boot anymore. Welcome to As the you shut it down while the disc was spinning. I swear I did that at least once, if not yep. more, when I was a kid. It's like, dang it. Does it say standby? Because I'm pretty sure that's what my games always said. Standby. I don't think I ever got to say standby. I've seen Please Wait. Please Wait. Yeah. Oh, yes, that was another one. The disc that it didn't come with, though, which I don't think it came with anyway, was, does anybody remember the Echo Plus disc that had the demo programs on it that where like it had not only the Echo voice that we've all grown to know and love, but it said the Echo can do all these other things, and it had like these high quality, like limited vocabulary speech synthesizer things that the Echo could do. Huh? And I and don't remember th- th- that. Does anybody remember this? I do, but no, you're right. It doesn't have that in it. I'd like to see that disc for the speech geeks. It's just LPC. That's how those worked, and the Echo was based on LPC. And for those who are really board they could look up what that is but that's the same codec that the speak and spells used that yep a lot of 80s toys used that kind of human nice. but yet computerized oh. sort of hybrid oh, that right. yes and and speaking of 80s toys i'm so excited right now there should be now or soon a podcast that i'm gonna put up because i just got milton anyone remember milton it's no. sitting waiting for me downstairs and i'm so jazzed Milton, why does that sound familiar? What is Milton? Milton was a game that came out in apparently 1980. I remember it when I was a kid, 1981, 82, something like that. And one of the teacher's aides at the School for the Blind and Criminally Insane had one. And it was the coolest (laughs) game on the planet. (laughs) I guess we Um, went to the same place. (laughs) (laughs) It was the coolest game on the planet. It's like a memory game, a bit like Simon, but not quite. You turn it on and it had a southern accent. You turn it on and it says, you turned me on. And it does this thing and it gives you seven sentences and it tells you, push a red, then a yellow. And you push one button to get the beginning of the sentence and then you have to find the button that goes with the end. And you ha- it's sort of like a memory <laughs> game. And if you got it right, it would like congratulate you and say, like, nicely done, number one. And if you got it wrong, it would laugh at you or something. Sounds like Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> Yeah, except they didn't say, I say, I say, nicely done, you know, but I said, I said, I said. <laughs> oh. what's the matter with you, boy? Oh, oh nostalgia. nostalgia. Yes. Did you find it on eBay? eBay. Yep. Absolutely. That's awesome. I wanted to get Super Simon too. And that's not to be confused with regular Simon. Does anybody remember Super Simon? No. no. That I, I was deprived as a child, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> now, Super Simon was cool because, like, regular Simon was round and it, had, you know, of course, had four buttons. Yeah. And you do your little sequence of Simon. Right. Super Simon was rectangular and it had eight buttons like that. So you could play Ooh. two people, one against the other, and you could play head to head. Yeah. You know, of course, you know, if you did your thing faster than the other guy, then you'd get the point and the other guy wouldn't. 
it had a switch on it so you could actually speed it up. Yeah, it was great. So I was looking for that too, but I didn't buy one of those. John, do you have any apps in particular before I talk about the greatest new game on the planet? Nothing comes to mind other than we've talked the heck out of Solera as it is. So that's the only... Oh, yeah. How about that Solera? (laughs) Solera is pretty great. In fact, the upgrade that they came out with since our last podcast is pretty awesome. You can move your shops Shops around. around, Yeah, That's right. You can also get free daily rewards just for For playing, playing. which include gold and Esper. Although I will say in their update, they also made the costs for Esper different. So... Those little daily rewards of Vesper that you're getting, yeah, those aren't going to get you anywhere. Not for a long, long time. But in our show notes, we have a podcast that was done by AppleViz on the new game called Codename Cygnus. And I will be interviewing the developer in one of our upcoming podcasts. So we'll be having more information about Codename Cygnus for you guys. I am one of the people who backed them on their Kickstarter campaign. And so when the game came out, I got all four of the current episodes that they have available. If you download the app itself, it is free. And with the update, which should be out by now, it comes with the prologue and the very first episode, and those will be free to you. If you are interested in continuing to play the game, it is $6.99 for the rest of the episodes in their first mission or you can download them each for $1.99. So think of Codename Cygnus as a choose-your-own-adventure game. I used to love those books, man. Yeah, exactly. But it's not a book. It's an actually professionally recorded James Bond, essentially. So you are a member of the Cygnus team, and your job is to, of course, go on missions and come out ahead, not die, don't end up being killed or giving away your secret as a member of a secret organization. And the way that you interact with the game is very, very simple. If you have voiceover turned on, for some reason at this point, the speech doesn't seem to be recognized. I don't really know what that's about. Probably a bug that they're planning on fixing because it is fully accessible with voiceover. If you turn voiceover off by doing your triple click home, which I end up doing, then when they ask you, do you want to be bold or charismatic, then you say, I want to be bold. And then it goes on to the next scene. I got to get this game just so I can say, I want to be charismatic. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And it's really fun. So, you know, even in episode one, they ask you, Are you into the ladies or are you, you know, more likely to win the affections of gentlemen? And so you kind of get to choose your sex. (laughs) I will say since this is a family show and I'm talking about a game that is very well done, it's definitely not a kid's game. I don't think they would find it as cool as us adults. And there are some scenes that are probably a little bit racy for young children, but it definitely isn't. It's not uh, profane by any means. It's very, very fun, and it's very well done. They've got a great little theme song, which is James Bond-ish, but of course it's not the James Bond theme. And they're continuing to create new episodes. So right now there are five episodes in the first mission. Only three of them are actually complete, but they are working on finishing those last two. And if you buy the entire set, for like I said, six ninety nine, then you get those two episodes for free when they come out. 
their goal right now is to do an episodic model the way that the game will continue on. And so it's going to be kind of like going out to the store and purchasing your choose your own adventure book. Awesome. And I think that that's a really great way to do the app. Like I said, these are professional actors that are recording this stuff. So I think they deserve money. You know, this is not something we should just get for free. And they did a really great job. Voiceover is mentioned in the description of the app on iTunes. And as I said on Blind Bargains in my review, any developer that mentions voiceover in their description on iTunes deserves any money I can give them. Now, if you leave voiceover on, can you just choose menu items? Yes, you can. You can double tap on your menu items with voiceover turned on. Yes. Right. So like if I come out with a drawing app and say, this is a drawing app voiceover, then you would buy it? (laughs) Yes, buddy. If voiceover would actually describe <laughs> to me what I was drawing. Absolutely. Accessible Pictionary. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, but you didn't say that. <laughs> Accessible Pictionary. I love it. Yeah, that would be great. There you go. The companies, like I said, they're a startup company that had a Kickstarter campaign, and they're going to be on our podcast in the one of these next episodes in, in the future. So, Oh, speaking of Kickstarter yes. campaigns, there's an Indiegogo campaign I saw a little while ago, and it's still open if you okay. hurry, but it's for something called uh, Sigmo, I think. It was, But it's a gadget that will interface to your phone via Bluetooth, apparently, and it's got a couple of buttons on it. And anyway, it uses your iPhone or Android to translate in real time by using translation services. And eventually they want to get it so that the libraries get downloaded and can be used offline as well, but currently online. But it, it will translate what you say into your chosen language up to 25 different languages. And then it will nice. also translate what the person that you're talking to says back to you. So theoretically, anyway, I mean, like, this is something I could have totally used nine years ago. And yes, Russian was one of the languages that's available. That's interesting. Yeah, it's called Sigmo. We'll be sure to have a link to it in the show notes. And if you pledge 50 bucks, you can get one. Cool. I'm so excited for you to get your watch, buddy. Me too. I'm looking forward to the uh, Bradley. I mean, it's not a smart watch, but tell you what, I'm excited about it. High tech isn't always the answer. Sometimes low tech is really what's appropriate and needed. Well, if you listeners have any other apps that we didn't talk about that you have recently downloaded, and you can, of course, leave us an iReport, send us an email to resources at serotalk.com or post a comment on tripleclickhome.com. Or finally, you can leave us a mention or a DM on Twitter at twitter.com slash triple click home. So we're going to sign off for now and say thank you for listening. If you stay tuned, you will get to hear the second half of my interview with Mr. Jonathan Mosin and uh, listen to us talk about things like Braille and Braille tables and all kinds of fun things. So... I want to say thank you again. If you choose to follow me on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at twitter.com slash blind perspective. And buddy, how can they follow you? So you can follow me on Twitter as well. 
at twitter.com slash bbrannan. That's B-B-R-A-N-N-A-N. And you can follow me uh, on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacForTheBlind. All right. Uh, Derek and Jamie, do you guys want to tell them how to follow you guys? Absolutely. You can follow me twitter.com slash Jamie Pauls. That's J-A-M-I-E-P-A-U-L-S. And you can follow me at DGL1984. That's twitter.com slash DGL1984. Who to guessed? <laughs> very, very good. And buddy, tell us that thing that we always tell our listeners. Oh, yes, yes. Um, if you follow us on Twitter, these are our personal Twitter accounts. And opinions expressed on them do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Serotech, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. There you go. So thanks for everybody for listening. We'll catch you next month. All right. Take care, Thanks for listening. See you next month. So going back to your iOS 7 book, is there anything that we can know about the book before it actually comes out? I know that you are under an NDA, so obviously there are things that you cannot divulge. (laughs) <laughs> we can talk about what's in the public domain, which Apple released at WWDC, their Worldwide Developers Conference. Okay. There is quite a lot that's new. For example, let me just um, pick some things. FaceTime has undergone a bit of a makeover, and now it's a separate app on the oh, iPhone. And you can make FaceTime audio calls now. Okay. So you can take the video out of the equation altogether, which has some real advantages if you're using mobile data and you don't want to take up the bandwidth of video. I'm not sure how much bandwidth it practically saves, though, because it's always been possible to press the home button and freeze the video so that you've effectively only got an audio FaceTime call anyway. But it does seem to use a different audio codec from regular FaceTime. So there's that. There's also AirDrop, which is coming to newer iOS devices, the current iPad fourth generation, the iPad mini and iPhone 5 and upwards, which uh, we presume will include the 5S and the 5C. What's interesting is that at the moment... AirDrop does not talk to Macs. So I guess when I read about AirDrop coming to iOS, I figured, okay, it's going to be an easy way to transfer material between iPhones, iPads, and Macs. But at the moment, while you can transfer between iPhones and iPads, you can't transfer from an iOS device to the Mac. Now, whether they fix that in the Goldmaster or whether it's something that's coming with Mavericks, I don't know. But um, that's going to be a big change. Of course, the one that everybody's going to love in North America is the new voices that Siri has. And they demonstrated those at WWDC. And they are very good voices. I've not heard them in any other product. And uh, it's a significant improvement. So the one thing that Yeah, I suppose I'd better be careful about that. There are some very nice new features in voiceover that I'd love to talk about, but since they haven't been talked about publicly, I'd better be a good boy. Yeah, it's really interesting um, to hear the discussion amongst the community on Twitter that we're kind of in this odd situation that there have been so many leaks from large websites like The Verge or Engadget or even 9to5Mac where they have been talking about things that were talked about at WWDC, but they're also mentioning things that weren't talked about at WWDC, but they're in the mainstream. So it's like, oh, well, I don't know how to play that card, but I respect your need to follow your NDA. We don't want any Apple uh, employees actually listening to our podcast (laughs) and getting you in trouble. I I really am ambivalent about it, to be honest with you, because, Uh um, and and the first thing I should say is, you know, there's been a lot of controversy 
at, at least as we record this this week on uh-huh. the um, the iPhone list over this very question. And the first thing I would say is that I absolutely respect the right of a list owner to express their preference, their request that NDA-related material is not discussed on the list. So I'm not questioning that for one second. Uh-huh. I have thought long and hard, though, because it seems to me, how realistic is it? I mean, I don't know how many registered developers there are testing iOS, but we'd be talking, I would think, in the hundreds of thousands of, right. uh, oh, of registered sure. developers. And I, I do wonder, how realistic is it for Apple to expect there to be absolute secrecy once the code gets to that point. Now, obviously, if you are testing some sort of alpha version that is not out there for all developers to see, clearly you're in a very privileged position there and in some kind of special relationship. Uh, Once it gets to this point, though, I really wonder sometimes why the blind community is quite so precious, because as you rightly say, if you want to do the Googling, you can find out pretty much everything that is new, every new feature that is new in iOS 7. It's searchable now. It's Googleable. You can go to the blogs. I don't see mass prosecutions taking place, and those blogs <laughs> right. are read by you know millions in some cases. And it seems to me that in a way it's actually in Apple's interest. I think there's a distinction too. If people were talking about bugs in the code, mm-hmm. then I can understand that that could potentially damage Apple's reputation because if people get a perception that there's a bug in the code that gets out there it takes hold and even if they fix it before release that perception can be hard to shake so I completely understand that when you're reporting bugs to Apple you have to keep them under wraps and not damage their reputation why we as the blind community seem to be so different about our blogs not reporting new features that are out there in the public domain, I'm not really sure. And it's something I've thought long and hard about because I don't know why our stance is so different from the rest of the tech community on this. I definitely hear your argument. And I feel kind of the same way that to me, the excitement for those of us that use voiceover is knowing what the new features are going to be for us. And it kind of seems like a double standard that we have to end up waiting until the actual release of the official operating system before we know what those features are going to be. And I don't expect Apple to highlight them in any of their press conferences that they do because we're a small part of the population. But I still think it's, like you said, it's kind of valuable for them to point out the accessibility that they're adding. But I don't know that they really see that as much as they should. I agree with you about that. And I think while it isn't necessarily realistic to expect them to devote a lot of time at a big media event like WWDC. They do have a dedicated accessibility team, and I don't think it would do any harm for Apple to highlight on their accessibility pages what's coming up in a new release of iOS or, for that matter, Mavericks. So the other thing that I think we have to consider is whether this model is necessarily best suited to testing something like voiceover. So you've got hundreds of thousands of people who are beating up on things like AirDrop and any changes they might be making to iMessage or the new iCloud keychain feature, which has garnered a lot of excitement. The number of registered Apple developers who are testing voiceover is just a tiny, tiny fraction of that number. And the number of developers who are actually voiceover users, in other words, who rely on voiceover on a daily basis to get stuff done is even smaller still. And so I'm not convinced that 
the current model of asking people to pay $99 a year for the privilege of testing or to know somebody who has paid $99 and kind of get in on their coattails. I'm not sure if that is actually serving the best interests of quality control for voiceover users. That's an interesting point that you make. And we also don't know what the percentage of their accessibility team at Apple actually has a vision impairment. Because as I'm sure you will hopefully agree, there is a big difference between a sighted person designing something for us and us designing something for ourselves. We come from the perspective of being users rather than the designer. I completely agree with that. And uh, perhaps if we have another conversation after the release, I will have a lot more to say (laughs) about that because I think that you're absolutely right. And um, in general, iOS and voiceover is a very polished solution. And particularly, you know, when, when the iPhone came out with accessibility, I was concerned that all we had at that time was the touchscreen. And if you're doing some serious productivity, that can be on the slow side. They did address that and they added Braille and Bluetooth. And now it's a great productivity solution. We also have things like Flexi and Dictation now that we didn't have back in 2009. But I think one of the things I am enjoying, I'm also, I got myself a Google Nexus 7 just to dabble in Android and uh, keep up with what they're doing. And the one thing I am enjoying about that is that over on the Eyes Free email list, they publish beta code there of TalkBack, which is their screen reader on Android. So you can go and and anybody for free can download that beta. And then the developers are on the email list. And so if you find a bug or if you've got a suggestion, you know, this feature is okay, but you could make it better if you change the user interface this way, then you know that the developers who actually write that code are on the list and listening. And sometimes they'll take your feedback on board and sometimes they don't, but at least you know that they've heard you. That is not in Apple's culture. And it is unfortunate because no. you, know, you look at Braille, you know, <laughs> Braille is a classic, and I know you're passionate about Braille too. Yeah. Apple has the potential right now to kill the note-taker market dead once and for all, but they're not going to do it unless they fix their Braille. I've been working with a lot of teachers and kids and talking about the viability of, say, an iPad and a Braille display in the classroom, and it's a big advantage because teachers know what the iPad is. It's not this mysterious note-taker product that got a sort of a look and feel and an interface all of its own. This is an iPad that the teacher, at least if the kid gets stuck, they can turn voiceover off and get them out of a jam and that kind of stuff. The trouble is, though, you cannot expect an eight- or nine-year-old child to put up with the incontracted brow being expanded in the middle of a word because they've paused for a second and a half or however long it is. So the the word is expanded in the middle and, you know, you braille it at a P and it's turned into people. That's just absolutely shabby code. And I don't think if a blind person was writing that brow support, and I presume they are not, I don't believe that would ever have left Apple's um, Cupertino campus. It's sloppy code. You should not be expanding braille in that way in the middle of words. Yeah, and I've had the same problem when I type. So I know exactly what you're talking about. It's very, very frustrating when I type on my braille display. Yeah, if they could fix it, if they put the time into fixing it, you imagine you've got a solution there where you could be working with kids just learning contracted braille who will be slow. You know, they are going to take maybe a, a second and a half between characters as they become familiar with braille. If that could be resolved, 
why would you really want a note taker in the classroom at that point? It would be the perfect solution. Get a braille display and just keep updating the iPad. Indeed. And as a person who's studying to become a teacher of the blind, what I can tell you is that we're definitely moving here in the States towards the iPad being the solution in the classroom because of the affordability aspect and because of how accessible it really is. But you do bring up a really interesting problem with the Braille code. I'm all for that, uh, obviously. I, I think there's a real advantage. And during my time in the assistive technology production industry, I looked after dropping the cost of refreshable Braille in the area that I was involved in by 40%. So it's something I'm very proud of, that, that refreshable Braille is a lot cheaper. We used to be paying five and a bit thousand dollars for a 40-cell oh, right. Braille display, and now you can get one for under 3,000. So that's significant. But we shouldn't impose technology on our kids that could impede their ability to gain good literacy skills. And as far as I'm Indeed. concerned, until they fix that Braille input issue, we are imposing technology on blind kids that impede their literacy skills if we're giving them an iPad in its current state. Sure. So uh, you are working on a book that's on iOS 7 and one on Twitter. One of the things that we also don't really have a great resource for is the Mac. So is that something that you've actually thought about? It is something that I've thought about. And um, at the moment, it's not something I'm working on, but I think that there is, as you say, a, a market out there for it. Indeed. I know that to me, learning the Mac was actually quite easy. And I say that as a technophile, but I also teach people how to use it. So it's a definite change, if you're, especially if you're switching from Windows. But I found that the voiceover has been pretty easy to learn, but I know that we do need a good resource out there that is kind of comprehensive. I think we have a lot of good resources that are available online, but they're kind of scattered as far as what they cover and how you get the best access to knowing the basic operating system and the programs that come with your Mac. It would be good to have a one-stop shop. And I think also the other thing is to consider when it might be appropriate to use a Mac and when it might be appropriate to use Windows. So I have a MacBook Air and I run Windows on it through VMware Fusion. And uh, I find that's a good combination for me. I enjoy the fact that I can you know, FaceTime people and and I message them, and it all comes to the Mac, and I do a lot of blogging and Mars edits and a whole lot of stuff like that. But when it comes to serious word processing, for example, writing the book and everything, I still find that I prefer to work in Windows. And okay. I don't think that blind people can afford to be tribal about their technology. I think that you know we've got so much stacked against us. Unemployment is rampant. The economy is tough. We can't kind of lock ourselves in and say, okay, I'm a Mac person and I'm a Windows person. I think that we should have a range of tools at our disposal and we use Indeed. the tool that allows us to get the job done best. And that's why I really enjoy being able to just command tab from Windows to OS 10 and do what I need to do. I, I still, of course, do my internet broadcasting on Mushroom FM and I haven't found a solution uh -huh. in the Mac that does that as well as Station Playlist Studio and Windows does. So you use what works. Right. And Buddy actually brought up a really good tail on to this, what you're talking about here. He mentioned how one of the fundamental problems that I see in our schools, and he sees with when we're teaching technology to our students, is that we tend to throw one thing at them, one screen reader or one operating system, 
and say, this is what you're going to end up using forever because this is what I know how to teach you. And that's not really even a viable solution. Actually, I think that there's a relationship there between the different approaches to O&M, to orientation mobility, yeah. and computer learning, because some people teach you a route, and so you know to leave your house and take this turn and Indeed. catch this bus and then uh, cross the street. But then there are people who also or alternatively teach you the discovery method. And I don't think that we serve people particularly well by saying, to do this function, press these keys. Now, I mean, there will be some people who perhaps are in a particular job and they just have to get the job done and they may not be particularly tech literate and that might be an appropriate approach to take. But as you say, with young people, I think that the discovery method of technology training is important. It's important that kids learn how to explore an application, how to work with an entire new operating system. And I think it's the old adage about giving someone a fish versus teaching them to fish. If you give them those skills, you uh, stand them in very good stead for the rest of their lives because they know how to sort these things out and play for themselves. Well, and you bring up, (laughs) this is a big struggle for me as a teacher for adults right now, because that's who I'm working with. I oftentimes will end my session and say something to the extent of, I hope you have fun exploring and learning new things before we work together next time. And I'll tell you that the response from adults tends to be, Alina, I just want you to give me the answer. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. That's Mm -hmm. not how you learn anything. Yeah, and you know, that's why I think that things like Twitter and games and just casual surfing the web are so important. And sometimes I see tech instructors kind of belittling that. You know, we don't want to waste time teaching people Twitter and things. But the thing is, when people are doing something that they enjoy, they're still acquiring valuable skills. They're acquiring confidence with the technology and they're becoming familiar. And so there are things that are just kind of getting into their brain without even thinking about it because they're enjoying what they're doing. Well, Jonathan, I really appreciate our discussion. I feel like you and I could probably discuss all kinds of things, um, but I want to let... <laughs> people know what's the best way to contact you and find a way to get this book about iOS 7. The best way to do that is to head on over to the Mosin Consulting website. I have a blog on there where I try to remember to publish some things from time to time. There's a store there. Uh, You can also contact me through the contact form there. So it's all there. Go to mosen.org. That's M-O-S-E-N.org. And if you choose the store link, you will find the link for iOS 7 without the I. That's E-Y-E. And you can purchase the book there through PayPal. If you don't have a PayPal account, then they allow you to order with a credit card as well. So it's a pretty easy way to order it from there. Oh, that's great. That's good to know. I know that you might have some people that don't want to necessarily sign up for PayPal or maybe they don't have a PayPal account. So that's really great that you have multiple options. Absolutely. And how much is the book going to cost? And we're going with the presumption that this will actually air after it's come out. So okay, the so the book, um, right that we had a, an opening special, but the book is 1995, and um, it's a fairly substantial book with a, a comprehensive summary of uh, all the features, well, most of them, because the thing is, as you say, Apple kind of doesn't document everything, so I'm kind of no. using the discovery <laughs> method too, but there's a good raft of features in there and how to work them with voiceover and stuff, so hopefully it'll be a handy resource at 1995 that you can keep and refer to. Yeah, definitely. Well... Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that everybody will enjoy listening to our interview and uh, listen to you and I banter about 
how we can fix problems, maybe. <laughs> yeah, we'll solve the world together. I really enjoyed it, actually, and um, thanks for the opportunity. Don't break your iPhones. Oh, don't break yeah, Don't there. break your iPhones. <laughs> and if you do, do that thing where you throw them up in the air. And yeah, that app. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right.